Fulhamish is back for the season by Ladbrokes. Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish podcast. Hello and welcome to the Fulhamish podcast. My name is Sammy James. We are your independent voice of Fulham FC. Hope you're all well. On today's podcast, we're going to be looking back at Tuesday night's dramatic comeback against Brighton. 2-0 down at halftime. Things were looking pretty bleak, but we came back with four goals in the second half to win 4-2. And is there life in this Premier League season yet? We'll discuss that. Plus, look ahead to Saturday's Palace game. And I'm joined by the company of Guy Barlow. Hello, hello, hello. And Don Bex. Hello, hello. How close were both of you last night to leaving at halftime? Oh, a proper shot goes in. I was going back. I was going back to the pub, and there was no two ways about it. Guy, because I was, I was on the border last night. Yeah, my dad was seriously considering it. Um, I talked some rounds to it, and someone said to me, "Someone literally said to me, 4 2 We're going to win four two. And I was like, "Yeah, okay, fine." Wow, where are they now? What's the result? I want to know what happens on Saturday. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he was. I don't know. I, he probably said it very sarcastically, but it happened. So I don't know. Well, uh, as I say, Lowe's coming up in the show. Going to be looking ahead uh, to that Palace game as well. And we've got a little exclusive interview with Leroy Rossini, uh chatting all things FFC, looking back at the Brighton game with him and looking ahead to Fulham's upcoming relegation battle. Uh, let's do some three-word reviews from last night's game. Uh, Don Betts, would you like to do the honours? For today's three-word reviews, I thought we'd go to Facebook. We haven't been oh. there in a while. You love the Facebook three-word reviews, Facebook, don't you? The Facebook three-word reviews are the best three-word reviews, as okay. far as I'm concerned. Don't get enough love, as far as you're concerned. Yeah, they don't. Facebook needs, needs more love, mate. Okay, well, uh, let's see what's coming in, then. We'll start with Jason Gaze with Holy Balls Batman. Holy Balls Batman? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Ian Price with Finally Some Passion. Uh, Stuart Sylvester with Absolutely un- Unbelievable Jeff. <laughs> Was passion spelt P A S A? Unfortunately, unfortunately, unfortunately not. And um, we'll finish it with Chris Sharp. Brighton, very Fulhamish. Brighton, very Fulhamish. Okay, well, thank you for your three-word reviews. Uh, loads <laughs> came in yesterday, which Holy is Balls Batman. Oh, is that the name of the pod today? Though, mate? <laughs> if you want to call it, if you want to call it that, it is your prerogative, Dom. So I uh, get involved with the three-word reviews after every game. Uh, and just to say this season, Fulhamish is backed by Labrooks for exclusive specials and promotions. Head to bets.fulhamish.co.uk. Loads of people joining up to the Fulhamish WhatsApp, I've got to say. Um, the responses at half time in the WhatsApp uh, from just general people who are signed up to it were incredible. Uh, a lot of people very, very depressed. And then a couple of people even deleting their messages once full time had come around, realizing <laughs> that maybe what they said at half time uh, wasn't very apt. I knew there were a few. Are we people... going to make a new section just for the WhatsApp? section yeah exactly. yeah i think we should just the best messages you receive each week especially when we lose to like lots of liverpool man city and chelsea coming on you know what? i'm such a simpleton i didn't even realize you could reply i thought it was just like one of those things you got got the fulhamish updates and then yeah i'm with my day well you you can reply if you like <laughs> uh it's just a select few of us that see the whatsapps maybe we should make that a feature of the show see what people said during uh during the game i haven't got the whatsapp phone on me otherwise i would have read some out anyway let's look back at the game uh, i feel like we've diverged away from it long enough and guy i mean it was a start of nightmares yesterday it really really was glenn murray scoring after three minutes then after 17 minutes from what seemed to me like the exact same goal both times yeah i mean oh, it was so poor i mean it was one of those ones where he's still kind of settling down like just chatting away how are you you know blah 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 and just first shot you knew it was going in it was one of those ones where as soon as he hit it and the second goal as well 
you'd like to think it would have been offside, but it just you knew deep down that it wasn't. Like yeah. um, it's one of them ones, and yeah, terrible start, and then could have got worse with that proper crossbar as you spoke about and the uh, Murray Flick late on as well I haven't seen someone hit a crossbar so hard in a long while <laughs> yeah I think I think it's still shaking right now <laughs> I mean it was awfully depressing as you say quite similar for me so I was sitting next to a friend of the pod Dave Preston and I literally said to the words to him so you considering getting a season ticket next season and just <laughs> as Murray flicked it in and I was like I'll, I'll take that as a no <laughs> um and, and quite uh, galling to see uh, Montoya, who was linked so heavily with us in the summer, being given the freedom of that right flank in order to to deliver that cross. And I, I thought Lamarchon, I'd expect better from someone of his quality, letting Glenn Murray get around him just so naively. I thought I was I was quite surprised to see MLM make a mistake like that. Yeah, I mean, well, Ranieri said in the uh, press conference that he knew what Brighton do is they get quick crosses in from the fullbacks. If you know that, then what, how do you not stop the cross? You know, with like, yeah, I mean, arguably I'd say it's good movement from Murray, got in front of his man and toe pokes it in. You've got to stop the cross at source, you know. I mean, either Babel tracking back or um, Brian. When we're playing five at the back... Yeah, they shouldn't have the opportunity no, exactly. to be making those crosses into the box. By the way, Dom, what's Glenn Murray got against Fulham? I don't know. I think he's just being a bellend, personally. It was really surprising. I know he might have been excited to score it, being on a little bit of a goal drought, but have some class, man. I don't. What have we done to you? And uh, it's not. It's not like we're even rivals with Palace or anything either. No, uh, we're not rivals with any. He's not played for Chelsea. He's not played for QPR. I don't think he's played for Brentford. So I, I don't understand what his problem was. I mean, I wasn't really bothered about it because I was just too busy laughing about how bad we were. <laughs> and I, it was a real shame the second goal came off 17 minutes because that's wait like another 10 minutes to get a beer. So <laughs> it was. It was. Is that the rule? They don't serve beer for. What? I think. I think it's 30 minutes. Okay. I think that's what it was. It's 30 in the Premier League, 35 in the Championship. I want to say. Burnley, however, they waited till 40 minutes. Disgrace. Disgrace, <laughs> honestly. Relegate them now. Yeah, why, why are you not letting me buy the beer while the game's going on? I don't want to watch it. Why don't they want to take your money? <laughs> exactly. It's disgrace. Um, it just felt... I felt hopeless during the rest of that second half. And it seemed way more inevitable that Brighton were going to get a third than, than Fulham to get back into it. And at half-time, I really thought, this is over. And I've been an eternal optimist throughout the bad form. And you know, people like Dom have... Um, Shut you down. Well, you've, 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 you you said after Burnley it was all over. And whilst I didn't disagree, I had this inkling of hope that we had these two games at the end of the month and that something might come good. But I don't know about you, Guy, but half-time I sat there in the freezing cold and I was like, this is 100% over. Yeah, it was just a case of... It was just a, a moment of realisation. Like, we knew when we got promoted... We, it wasn't going to be plain sailing, but we had the naivety, spent 100 million, and we're like, yeah, we're going to boss it. And then that was the proper moment where we were like, wow, it's, it's, I don't know. It, it's not like Wembley last year was for nothing, but it's going to be such a short-lived um, experience and not a nice one at all. I didn't even have the energy to boo at half-time or anything like that. I was just a little bit of disbelief and just looking at the pitch like, well, this is... This is this is hopeless. You can't even get angry about it because we're just so bad. I mean, I was a little bit angry during the first half, um, but at Ranieri, I mean, he had to have some blame. Like five at the back, which just really annoyed me quite a lot. But to be fair to Ranieri, and and we'll come on to more praise on him, the substitution after twenty minutes was ballsy, and it worked. 
he it, he he put it back to four four one one and shock horror the formation that's worked in several other home games this season worked again and and Tom Kearney really whilst it was still pretty desperate at half time you felt like Ranieri had done something tactically to at least stop the bleeding I don't think he did I think bringing on Kearney was such an obvious decision and it just had to be done and then but he did it. He he made the decision. Yeah, but that, I don't know. That's his that, job. That like. shouldn't. That sh- you shouldn't have to. We shouldn't be crediting for someone to making the right decision. No, I get your point there. Like he should be doing that, or or he, Reem or or Kenny should be playing in the, in the first instance. Because we said this multiple times that if we're che- we're not chasing a weird team who's going to be going attacking the other side, so we've got another pretty big team, not big teams, or team in and around us at home. We should be playing a four three three or four four one one. And I d- it, yes, well done. You made substitution, but. You you should have made that substitution. Exactly, like yeah. you shouldn't be getting credit for for decisions that you should be making in the first place. Well, I guess yeah. To put it into a metaphor, he might as well have been driving down the wrong side of the road, and after twenty minutes, he decided to go back onto the right side. You shouldn't really be complimenting him for that decision, but at least you're thankful that he did it. Yeah, and we've been saying for for weeks that we haven't got the players to play the way Ranieri wants to play. We've still got. He hasn't had a. He's almost had one full transfer window. We've bought, he signed one player. You know, all these players have been playing slab football for at least six months since since August. We can't play the way he wants to play. And just fire at the back at home to Brighton was so negative. And I just I hope we don't see it again this season. Well, what do you think changed at half time? Do you think there was a inspirational team talk or a tactical change that really turned things in our favour, or? Was it just it turns on a sixpence when when Callum Chambers scored that absolute beaute peach of a goal? Yeah, I mean that goal was absolutely crucial. But it came so early in yeah. the half, and they felt like around the stadium a gasp of a relief and almost a an immediate sense that okay, we've got forty three minutes in order to find a goal here. Dom, did you see Callum Chambers's goal? No. <laughs> what what was your feeling though after that? Did you feel like we were going to get back into nope. this, or did you just think we were going to throw it I away? I think I predicted last week it'd be two on Brighton, so my prediction so I <laughs> was going to be right. It was just going to be attacking the middle game, but without any penetration to it, which unfortunately we we didn't do. So we did we did win the game four two. But yeah, I think I was just finishing my pint, and I just threw it away like the empty cup when Chambers scored. And, and then what was what did you notice? How, how, the change after James's goal because it felt like suddenly the Fulham of old returned as soon as that hit the back of the net. It was well, our players realised they got to play football. Seri was absolute class. Yeah, instead of real, instead of trying to lump up the ball to Mitch was home for the best, we started playing him some actual football, and that's what that's what that's what our team's built around. As guys said earlier, that you know we've still got the slab players in there, so why are we trying to play a different way that these players aren't suited to? Like if you're playing direct route one football with with a with, with John McHale Seri in midfield, like he's, he's five for eight, five for nine. Like I think you know I, I think Kenny said it in his post match presser last night that. The only way we're going to stay up is by playing football, which sounds really stupid. But you know, by by, by playing the ball on the ground, I don't think the, the route one system is going to suit us. It really, it really doesn't. Do you think the players maybe took ownership a little bit and it almost ignored instructions and, and started to go back to what they knows best? Well, the, the same happened at half time against Burnley. If you remember, we were playing that terrible football in the whole first half, and then Rico actually started playing out from the back. Yeah. I think they did. Ranieri said after the game that um, 
the way he does it at half time is he gives them five minutes, then he has five minutes to speak himself, and then he gives five minutes for the players. And then that last five minutes, you could argue that was the most crucial five minutes of our season. You know, if you want to be really hyperbolic. But yeah, it, they finally remembered us to play football, as Dom said. Fieto for Scherler seemed like a crucial substitution. That's why I'm a potato for Scherler. I mean, I, I, <laughs> I've said it all season, and apart from the odd flash of brilliance, um, just a wonder goal, basically. And he, he is a, basically a renter shot. And, and every six games, he, or a bit less than that, every once in every ten games, he will come up with a wonder goal. But he offers absolutely nothing else. Basic control of a football seems beyond him last night there was two or three and you were just like how did you play in a world cup final because whether you might your legs might have gone or anything like how can your touch be that bad yeah i mean look i don't want to see more doom and gloom after the euphoria of last night but there were negatives um if you take the first half alone i thought christie was just appalling as well i mean the two of them up that right flank was just abysmal to watch and Christie tired in the second half, which made him even worse, as it does. And, yeah, I mean, it was a game built on so many small moments. So, for example, Vieta coming on for Schurler. There was a Dale, Dale Stevens tackle on Schurler in the first half. Which How he hasn't got Which we haven't even that. mentioned yet. Um, the proper crossbar. You know, Seri hit the post. It was, and the Rico save. You can list them off. It was such a good game of football, really. Yeah. But Schurler, yeah, I'm with you, Sammy. I've never been a fan. I was a I was a fan on day one. I was a fan against Crystal Palace, but for me, Ryan Babble in two games has contributed more to this team than than Scherler has. Really. Where's the loose turn up? Well, <laughs> to contribute more, it's madness. Speaking of that tackle, though, from, from Stevens on Scherler, I mean, how the referee hasn't given a red there? I, I could see it from the back of the hammy end. I was I was stunned when that wasn't given. Yeah, I think when watching any challenge or any refereeing decision you think's gone against you, you shouldn't be you shouldn't watch it in slow motion because even with the even with the whole VR discussion, that's why my issue my issue with it is because they slow everything down. It's like the referee doesn't see anything in slow motion. You should be you should judge a challenge on what it looks like in full speed. Yes, in full speed it does look like a red, but it, but you know I can I can see why the referee probably hasn't given it. He probably he probably thinks he, it's maybe foot to foot instead of foot to shin, but. Yeah, it's, I don't know how he's sat on the pitch. It wasn't even given the foul, though, was it? It was, um, remember, yeah. it, play carried on. And then about a minute later, I think he blew up on Seri yeah. for a much less uh, aggressive challenge, and Seri got a yellow card. Weirdly, a Brighton player also got a yellow card for that incident. I, I'm still a little bit lost as, as to why. It was Duffy, wasn't it? Yeah. Might have just been chat. Just general, you know, Brighton, kind of, Hewton, you know, nuisance Let's move on to the the second goal and, and, and the equaliser. And for me, it is Mitrovic absolutely summed up. And you might have seen a tweet going around on Fulhamish. And if you listen to Monday's podcast, I spoke to AD from, from Albion Raw, who's a lovely bloke, by the way. But his quote was, if you're looking to put crosses in the box, that's just meat and potatoes for Duncan Duffy. They'll head away a Fiat 500. Uh <laughs> Maybe words that AD slightly regrets, probably in hindsight. And uh, quite a few people commented on that tweet saying, uh, well, they can't head away a Serbian tank. <laughs> they, they just got absolutely battered. Yeah. Like Mitrovic was like... But they had, him in his back, they had Mitrovic in his back pocket. Sorry, they had Mitrovic in their back pocket for the first half. Yeah, and then the second half he was clearly some sort of different animal and he just like... He's like, no, mate, you're not getting anywhere near me and absolutely battered them. Because again, it's, just, it's, just, it's not a foul, it's just he's stronger than them. He they, just times it as well. Perfection. 
yeah, yesterday was the Mitrovic that we all know. And, you know, he's he's been not off form, let's say, but he hasn't, I don't think he's been himself that much recently. But, yeah, yesterday he was back to his best and shows how critical he is to the way we play and how wrong Rafa Benitez was about him. But the weird thing about Mitro, and I don't... Like, in the first half, the ball was not sticking at him at all. And you can argue that players were closer to him in the second half. But there's still an element of... Mitro just was getting absolutely no joy out of Duncan Duffy. Then as soon as Fulham were back in the game and he'd scored a goal, suddenly he was winning everything. I mean, something wasn't adding up. Whether players are close to you or not, he's still got to physically control a ball in order to have a chance of getting it to a player. And he wasn't doing that. And then suddenly he has a little bit of confidence and he's a he's a different animal. Yeah, it's particularly with the second goal, you know, cliche, he wanted it more, didn't he? You know, he, he wanted he, it. He, wanted, he showed a bit of passion. He got above the two defenders and just, you know, climbed all over. And, and it's the same with the third goal, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. And I think uh, Jamie Reid on the commentary, he just, I think in their celebration, and Jim's doing the commentary, and, and Jamie Reid just went, he wanted it. <laughs> he wanted it. <laughs> he showed some passion, <laughs> which I quite enjoyed. But that third goal, lovely cross from Joe Bryant and some patience in the build-up which I know that the hammy end sometimes patience is not one thing that it has in abundance but it was good that the Fulham players actually just found the right moment to pick out the cross and as I said uh, what do you think did you think it was a foul by Mitro for the third goal no it's no, it's not fair. Well, that's what Brighton players were claiming yeah but it's just 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 because someone else is stronger than you and he beat you in the air doesn't make it a foul if someone's just naturally stronger than you you got to deal with it I'm so like it's not just because you, you lost the header and you now you're now on the floor and you're hurting because you lost to the stronger man. That's not a foul. No. Well, I, I I agree with you. I was playing devil's advocate, of course, but I was although I'm happy for Mitro to get the goal. I was gutted that Seri one didn't go oh, in, yeah. which would have made it three two. I mean, it was beautiful play from from Mitro to lay it down, and then that shot and and the agony on Seri's face when it, when he missed it, it would have been absolutely wonderful. Let's talk about John Mikel Seri because, well, I, if you didn't think he was man of the match, then I don't know what game of football you were watching, quite frankly. Yeah, he was absolutely class, and as a lot's been said on Twitter today, especially about you know him taking a game with his neck and arguably being the most passionate player on the pitch. He's just pinging balls all over, particularly out wide to Christie, I've noticed. Yeah. Just on a sixpence. And it's a shame, I know I've already mentioned Christie, it's a shame Christie couldn't capitalise on the space he was given by the precision of the balls by Seri. But yeah, I mean, he he wanted it. He showed some passion. He wanted it. <laughs> he did. But I mean, the revival of Seri in the past month or two has just been incredible. And I... There's still a few people saying to me, and I don't know if they're just maybe not watching the game, but like still a couple of people in the last week are saying, like, but what's wrong with that guy, Seri? And I'm saying, have you watched like our last three or four games? He's a different player. Do you think it's confidence? Do you think he's just finally found the pace of English football and learned to adapt to it? Because it's not going too far to say that he was very, very poor for a good month or two, probably around November, December. I mean, I was wondering if there'd been some kind of transfer fraud. It was that bad. Maybe he's just fed up, you know? Like, he's finally snapped. And, you know, this Ranieri football wasn't working, you know? And he just decided, I'm going to do something about it. And it's interesting, the whole thing about you can't play in the colds. 
that's maybe that was that was I, definitely debunked last night exactly yeah it was absolutely freezing <laughs> well, isn't, it, isn't it a medical thing though the cold like, apparently yeah so something to, to do toes. with something his toes can't deal with well his, his toes are twinkling last night so <laughs> I don't see any any issue of, of that last night and you know I gave Seri stick in probably what October November time around you know, like we played Liverpool and Huddersfield I thought he just looked disinterested he's come back into the come back into the fray and I mean you know when we knew what sort of play we were getting when we signed him and yeah. we're starting. We're starting fine to see that, and it'll be it'll be quite sad off if we do end up going down and we and we end up losing him at the end of the season. But you know, I think it's just well, another problem for him and a lot of our players is they're playing like a different system every other week, mm. and they can't get their positions and nail it down and know how to play that role. That's why we were so good over the last few seasons because. Yes, we played different systems in 16, 17 and 17, 18, but players knew where they were playing and how they were supposed to play in those positions. And I think Seri's finally getting there. And I think last night showed maybe that Kearney and Seri can play in the same team. But I think Kearney and Seri can only play in the same team when one of them's out wide, not when both of them are trying to play centre midfield. And Kearney, to his credit, was was very impressive on that right-hand side. He was given a lot of space by Guyton Bong. Like, he was given a criminal amount of space by, by Guyton Bong. But still, you know, his, his intricacy and, and his passing accuracy, I think he only misplaced one pass when, yeah. when he came on. And I, it seems like Ranieri does need to find a way to, to include him in the team. And Ranieri has said that he is actively trying to. Yeah, I mean... On the, on the flip side, Babel was kind of playing behind Micho, wasn't he? Mm. So we were kind of playing like a 4-2-3-1. So if we do play that formation, then there is space in behind Micho, which Kenny could occupy. But I mean, yeah, he, he did do a job out on the right. I, I think um, something that I haven't seen picked up on, the most unnecessary piece of skill I've ever seen in my life. You know, he did that little step over th- through his own legs when he had like the freedom of Craven Cottage just before the fourth goal. Okay. There was no players within about 10 yards of him. <laughs> Guy and Bong was not closing him down. He did this skill and then, and then he hit the bar. Oh, and, yes, and then yes. Just before Vieto's goal. But that piece of skill was just so funny. I just keep like looking back at it. Because what's it? He doesn't need to do it. I hadn't really noticed, to be honest, <laughs> yeah. but a guy in Bong was just saying, literally was going, go on your left foot and have a go. I mean, it was, um, and Brighton fans are quite rightly slating him on, on Twitter today. And you can understand because for both the times where Kearney hit the bar, I mean, they might as well have given him a, a written invitation to say, <laughs> have your best shot if you'd like. And Kearney doesn't like shooting. We've, we've seemed to realise this in the past few months, but he almost kind of had to because that's what they were saying to him. It was it was nuts. Yeah, it was going to be uh, Leeds all over again, wasn't it? Yeah. That kind of cut in, just hit the bar this time. But yeah, I mean... I and all know. for it because one, although I do love Slav, one negative from me about him was that he seemed to coach Kearney out of shooting and Kearney has got a vicious shot on him. If he can get onto his left foot, he should be a goal-scoring midfielder that is bagging five or six a season and the fact he hasn't registered a goal yet in the Premier League if I'm not mistaken um, it's not criminal from Kearney's point of view because I don't all think it's his fault but he 100% should be notching up with with, with, with a couple well that's least. been our, our problem this season we've been too over-reliant on pretty much two players scoring our goals in Scherler and Mitrovic and Scherler's useless anyway so pretty <laughs> much just Mitrovic and Mitrovic has been I think good in patches instead of being a sort of consistent run of form all season and I think that's that's been our problem you need goals all over the, all over the part to succeed well you look at a team like Watford yes I know they've got a better squad etc probably than us but you know they, they get goals from everywhere they don't have like a 20 or 30 goal season striker in like Andre Gray isn't that Troy Deeney isn't that but they get goals from all over the field you've got the likes of Will Hughes you've got the likes of Tom Cleverley you've got 
Pereira. And I think to, to, to succeed in this league within the mid-table region, you need to have goals from all over your team. You need, to, need it in any team, really. Yeah. You just need you got all your players to be chipping in with goals. And that's why we did so well over recent seasons, because our midfielders were popping up with goals. I mean, if you look at 16-17, I think Johansson and Kenny both got double figures. It's, yeah. It shows you how hard it is to find a striker like Misha then, doesn't it? If anything. Rather than teams relying on other players, it shows how much we can rely on Mitro because we've got him. You know, we we would play differently if we didn't have him and because Watford haven't got that kind of player. I mean, I know they've got Troy Deeney, but he's not as good as Mitro. Um, And so they have to share about more. So just, yeah, I don't know. The only thing with Mitro, and and he he scored 10 goals and and it's an absolutely fabulous return and, and it's equal to Eden Hazard and Raheem Sterling, two players that at certain points this season, people have said they've had the season in their lives. So it's a hell of achievement that he's hit double figures um so quickly however two-thirds of his goals this season have come in three games burnley southampton and brighton doesn't matter mate. it doesn't well it doesn't matter but it also i sometimes think whilst mitro's stats are great and whilst he has been really really important i would rather 10 goals where he scored in 10 different yeah, games but I, but, he, there's still a couple of but games i think he's had many games where he hasn't scored and he's still been on one of our best players on the pitch yeah, like, I'm I think not, I'm not. I think what he provides us. Yes, he scores goals, but he also provides actually that that stat, that point at the top of the team to work off. And I think you know that does go understated in some games. I think what was it the Leicester game? Maybe he it was one of the best performances he's had for the club. But he didn't score. Yes, and we wouldn't granted, have... but he's also had quite a few others. Sorry, guy, he's had a few others where he also hasn't stepped up to the mark and I'm, I'm sure Mitro would, would accept that as well and you saw it in the first half yesterday and then the second half how it was a different player and my hope now is after yesterday he can build on that and try and turn in a performance for the full 90 against Crystal Palace with some confidence behind him yeah well the whole team should have confidence firstly but then if you take away those goals you just mentioned we wouldn't have three wins would we you know like they they've come in those three games Burnley, Brighton, and I forgot, forgot the last one, Southampton. Southampton. But yeah, where would we be without those goals? We'd be at least you know nine points. Well, all off, four wins because you include the Huddersfield win as well, which he scored in the 90th minute. So every win has come about when Mitro scored. Yeah, and even like <laughs> times where we've got like you know we scraped, we, we we nicked a point against Watford earlier in the season, and that came around due to Mitro. And we went two 0 up at Brighton due to Mitro, like. His goals are crucial, and when he does score, we do invariably go on to set, get some kind of results. Uh, just finally, that fourth goal, and we've got to talk about that Babel assist. Because at the time, from the hammy end, I was thinking he's shinned that straight into Luciano Vieto, but I think there's a case that Babel means that. I don't think there is. I think he did shin it. <laughs> he doesn't. He's looking straight at Vieto. No way did he mean Coincidence. That. Yeah, no way. Um, not I, having that in, in a million years. Are you sure? Yeah. I really think he means it. I didn't think it at the time. It came at him so fast. Like, there's no way he could have reacted. But, no. but, but maybe, okay, maybe the fact that he was looking to pinpoint it straight at Vieto, but maybe he was wise enough to think that I'm much. it's much more likely this going in if I square it across the box rather than try and shoot for the narrow, narrow angle. Whether he ne- saw Vieto or not is debatable. But Yeah, I would take that. I would take that he was probably trying to cross it in, but I won't take that he was saw Vieto at the corner of his eye, well, picked him out. I feel like that's a fair <laughs> compromise. Okay, so 
We've won 4-2. We're now got 17 points in the league. We're five points off safety as we speak. But of course, both Palace and Southampton play each other tonight. So there is a chance it could be more than five uh, if there's a draw. And if one of them wins, then it still will be five. The Newcastle result yesterday hasn't undone all the good work that was made yesterday, but... It's not what you want, is it, Dom? No. I mean, we were lucky that Man United scored two late goals to make it 2-2 against Burnley. When they went 2-0 up, I think, in the 81st minute at Old Trafford yesterday. And fans were like, oh, come on. Like, come off it. Like, the one the one time we get a great win at home, the other two teams end up getting the results they need. But that's what it is in the Premier League. You can only, you can only win your games. And I think, yes, we are behind and relying on other teams to drop points. But, you know, Cardiff lost yesterday. If Pal- I think if Palace lose tonight and we beat, the- beat them on Saturday, they're right back in it again. I think, you know, if we just we just need to focus on what we're doing. And if we focus on what we're doing and we get the points we need to, there's no reason why we can't. You know, everyone says, I've been, particularly me, have said, oh, we've got this four really tough home games coming up. Burnley showed yesterday you can get something out of United. They're not this massive world-beating team. You know, we, we played we, when we played against Spurs. We played really well, and we nearly got a point out of that. So I don't think it's a full conclusion that we'll get zero points out of the next four home games. And, and, it, and they, they have the team. These teams have got witnesses. I said City lost to Newcastle yesterday. I mean, Newcastle, Newcastle aren't that better than are they? Are they even though are they better enough because they couldn't. Even, they were awful when we played them. So I think you know, yes, it's annoying, but you know. I think we were, we, 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 people would say how far off we were in the Great Escape season, and we were. But I think, you know, we just need to focus on what we're doing and getting the three points on Saturday. Well, ultimately, Guy, if we get to 37 points, it doesn't matter what the other teams around us are doing because, well, that's the points total most people probably believe will keep Fulham in the Prem. So, whilst, yes, frustrating for Newcastle to beat City, in my eyes, I feel like for every time they beat Man City, they'll lose a game. I don't know, they've got Huddersfield at home in a couple of weeks that they, they should have won. It, it kind of cancels each other out until it's the very last day of the season. It's annoying when other teams win games that you potentially shouldn't, but there's only so much importance you can give to it, isn't it? Yeah, and it's toss-up how much you bear your own survival prospects on either yourself or other teams, you know? Because as Dom said, if you look at those four home games coming up, you think, no way we're going to get 37 points. But the other teams have got a keep on picking up points as well you know and if they go on bad runs and we even do slightly better than their bad runs we're going to make up points I mean 17 points at this stage of the season is not great you know and there are so many ifs and buts the most recent of course being the Spurs game the last minute but yeah like Tom said I I, I think it could be be a good time to play some of those teams you know I think Man U might have PSG like a few days before or after we play them I think when we play Liverpool it's just after it's the week after their way leg to Bayern yeah. and, they were, and the Bayern game's on the Wednesday then they come to us on the Sunday so let's say they get knocked out of that they'll be long of confidence or if they just if, they, if that game somehow goes to extra time or something you know they're going to be depleted after travelling to Germany and back playing 120 minutes 90 minutes so I think there are opportunities for us here with European football coming back into contention I think when we play Chelsea I want to say it's the week before they play they could possibly be playing someone so I think, think for us it's, again it's just focusing on ourselves and doing the best we can 100%. Well, uh, brilliant win yesterday. And also, just like, okay. I, and I said this to my dad because after the game, he was like, well, we're still going down. And I said, yes, we might be. But I don't think it's necessarily about that. I feel like I haven't enjoyed football 
for about six months. I wasn't at the Southampton game. I didn't find the Huddersfield game particularly enjoyable, even though we did win it in the last minute. So I feel like I haven't been to a football game and actually enjoyed the spectacle for such a long time. And so results are important. The league table is important, but also going to football and having some fun and enjoying what you're seeing is also equally as vital. And and that was what I got yesterday. I came away. I wanted to come home and I was disappointed there was no match of the day. I was gutted there was no match of the day. I had to go wait to the Fulham FC highlights came out this morning just because I wanted to watch it again. And that's a nice feeling to have back. Definitely. And, you know, like it's the cliche about talk, walking to work the next morning, the smile on your face. Yeah. And as far as I'm concerned, I'm going to have a smile on my face until three o'clock on Saturday when we play Palace. Yeah. You know, and, and until three or three when they score, yeah. Connor, Wick- Connor Wickham. <laughs> Connor Wickham's definitely scoring on Saturday. <laughs> Connor Wickham, two minutes 30. Right. Well, we're going to come on to that Palace game in just a bit. Uh, but first, let's hear from Leroy Rossini. Uh Dom, Guy and Cam Ramsey uh, caught up with him on the Love Sport Fan Show hosted by Aaron Paul. And this is what happened. I didn't watch the game live. I was watching all the games, in fact. And, and when it, they were 2-0 down after just under 20 minutes, I thought, oh, my word. In a funny way, it wasn't a shock, Aaron, because they'd been defending so poorly for periods, some periods in game. But when they got back just after half-time through Callum Chambers, who all of a sudden has become a midfield player, never rated him as a centre-half or, or as a defender, but in midfield, he looks a lot, lot more comfortable. And what a time to get your first goal. And what a goal it was, by the way. And then what everybody's been saying that, you know, the reason why Fulham can get out of this is because of Mitrovic and a couple of great goals and all of a sudden the impetus has changed. The results didn't really go from Newcastle winning, Burnley getting the result. But you know what? Fulham has just got to do their own thing. They have got to get into a run of results now, running out of games. And this could be the catalyst, obviously, with Palace next week. That's a massive game at the weekend. But Fulham have got to stick four or five results together. There's no point having one big result and then going to Palace and getting beat. They need to get a run of results where they pick up points on a regular basis and just get within touching distance because they're not going to claw those, I think, six points back in the next couple of weeks. It's going to go right down to the wire, I feel, and they need to start just clawing away at that deficit to give real belief to the players and the supporters that they can do it. Yeah, they've obviously a massive change in the second half compared to the first half yesterday. Obviously, it's not just a tactical switch from the five at the back to four at the back. I don't know if you've ever been in a dressing room like that when you've had been so bad first half and then prone acting and getting such a good performance in the second half. What's, what's it like being in a dressing room like that when it's been such a poor performance? What usually happens is a player sort it out amongst themselves. I've been in dressing rooms where that's happened and the manager's come in and just said, yeah, it's a disgrace, you know, just sort it out amongst yourself. And we have. We've had a go at each other. And if you've got players who've got a good attitude and want to do it, they do. And I feel that might might be the case, you know, last night. You know, the players were just so bad. And they just, you know, you can't get any worse than that. And, you, and you're playing for your pride, you know. To, to be a professional footballer, you know, you've got a big ego. And when you go out and perform like you do in that first half, your ego's been really badly affected. And they came out, they got the goal, which makes a big difference, not only to them, but to the crowd in terms of belief. And they showed what they were about you know, in terms of keeping the ball, passing the ball. And, and we know that this is a team that's got ability. But the Premier League is a tough place to be. And when you make mistakes, you get punished. That's not what happened in the Championship for, for Fulham. I know it's a much different team, but, you know, the, the fans would, would expect a team that can dominate games in terms of possession, but they haven't been able to do that. But last night, there was a passion, there was a determination that's been lacking, in, in all honesty, for a lot of the season. And hopefully... They can keep that going to the end of the season. Now, hopefully, that gives them a chance of getting out of the particular that they're in. Do you think the game against Brighton show that the best way for us to stay up is just to be playing football on the ground the way our players know how to? 
they've got to. They can't change it. There's absolutely no way they can go to a, being a, a long ball side and try and nick in a one nil. As I said, the strength is in our forward players, in the Mitrovic, you know, in, in Vieto who came on and got his goal. Let's hope he can get a, a few more goals. And so, look, we have got to defend better. But if there was a manager there saying, look. Let's try and keep a, a clean sheet. I know he's, he's, that's what he wants, but let's go in this game. Let's try and keep a clean sheet. That's not going to happen, which for them, I don't think, from now to the end of the season. What I would say is, let's try and get the first goal. Let's try and put teams under pressure where it kind of brings them out a little bit more, puts them under a little bit more pressure. Let's not do what we did last night and go a couple of goals down before we start playing. But we're more than capable of getting our noses in front in games. We're more than capable of scoring more than one goal in a game in the Premier League, which a lot of teams aren't, by the way. And so that does give us a chance. So we do need to maybe just control games better with our possession. Because we don't defend great without the ball, I think we need to keep the ball away from the opposition a little bit more. And that's what Fulham are capable of, and, and they showed it last night. We mentioned the five at the back. I mean, we changed the four at the back after like 20 minutes last night. Overall, like just how difficult is it when a manager comes in maybe halfway through the season, maybe at the beginning of the season, and completely changes the philosophy? As a player, how difficult is that? If it's not been working with the previous manager, sometimes it's good because obviously the philosophy before isn't working. The game is very simple. And when you've got five defenders and five of those defenders aren't your best players, you might as well just let four of them on and put a player on who can score a goal. Do you know what I mean? You've got five bad defenders. Why are five on? Why not play with a four? I know it sounds very simple, but our better players are forward players. And by the way, if I know it sounds awful, but, um, but these are decent players. But they would find it much easier in a back four. You know, when I seen Fulham play in a back five, not only last night, but all through the season, in all honesty, defensively, not got a clue. The wing backs are never engaged in terms of defensively when the ball's on the other side. There's been crosses where Joe Bryan's been defending the corner flag when there's a cross coming in from the left and vice versa. They are not comfortable defending in that situation you give any player a back four he knows what's, what he's doing by the way the players in front of them know what they're doing as well all of a sudden the game becomes much much simpler instead of the you know, three midfield players having to shuffle across at times because you've got five in the line at the back you've got four in midfield you've got one in the hole one can sit in and make it a five the game becomes so much simpler and you've got Mitrovic up front who you know is going to hold the ball up and when the ball's on its way to him midfield players can join in and it just becomes so simpler by the way if you're playing with Mitrovic you don't want wing back you don't want one out wide you need two you need two v one situations in wide areas where you can develop the ball and get the ball in the box and that's what Fulham have got to do from now to the end of the season now, Leroy, obviously it was a collective effort yesterday when Fulham rallied to blow um, the Seagulls out of the water in a rampant second half showing, of course. Um, and one of the catalysts for us in the midfield, it wasn't actually Chambers, although he did very well. It was actually Jean-Michel Serri, which has actually uh, attracted a lot of plaudits. I mean, he's been criticised recently for maybe fading in games and not necessarily being that kind of talisman in the midfield that we've been looking for to somebody that's actually been linked with the likes of Barcelona last summer and in, in particular. I mean, do you feel that sometimes the criticism that befalls him is a little bit unfair or are we finally starting to see a player that's turning a corner as much as Fulham are themselves? So, Serie's got so much ability, but I have to be honest with you, when I've seen him play, I've seen all the Fulham games because fortunately with my job, I, I watch almost every single Premier League game. He's been poor, out of possession. He doesn't have an understanding of how to close people down sometimes in midfield gets played about. With the ball, he's wonderful. He's as good as anybody. But without the ball, he's not the best. And that's been the criticism for me. And when you're in the Premier League, you have to do both. 
Now, obviously, he's played brilliantly last night, but, you know, in the Premier League, he comes up against players who can not only do it with the ball, but they do it without the ball. And that's something that he has got. It's not an attitude thing. It's not a lack of attitude. It's a positional thing. And sometimes he gets a little bit lost in there and he gets played around much too easily. He presses when he shouldn't. He drops off when he shouldn't. And so that's something consistently that he's got to do better and he's got to work on. And maybe it's been a bit of a shock to the system to him because he has had a lot of plaudits in his career about what a good player he is. And everybody was really excited, including myself, when he came to Fulham. But what you do, you see snapshots of players. You see him on YouTube, you know, you see him in highlights. But when you watch him over 90 minutes, defensively and positionally, sometimes he lets himself down. He has done this season. And that's why Fulham have been done on the counter-attack on those occasions. And in terms of criticism, he's a personal footballer. He's got to take it on the chin and got to use it to motivate him. You know, I don't feel sorry for any player, including, you know, when I was playing, when you get criticised, it's part of the industry. And you've got to stand up and be counted. And, and that's what Fulham players need to do now. Obviously, when you first joined the club um, for us the first time, obviously it's, it's well reported how you decided to go to us instead of that rubbish down the road. So what was it about um, Fulham and Craven Cottage that attracted you so much as a sort of young player coming through? I tell the story about Richard, Richard and Evans when I was playing for London Schoolboys and somebody on the, in the crowd gave me a card, the Chelsea scout, and they told me to ring him. But very quickly, it was the, the scout at Fulham came up to me and invite, invited me down to Fulham for a trial. And so I went to Fulham because that was what the club was about. It, was a, it had a personal touch. It was a family club. And then when I got there, there were so many young players around. It was in the time when Malcolm McDonald and Ray Harford were, were there, Terry Mancini, so fantastic coaches. Didn't realise how good Ray was until, you know, he went to Blackburn with Kenny Dalglish. Malcolm was a great motivator. But it was just a group of players, young players there, who they wanted to improve. And Fulham is a unique player. So I was talking to a friend of mine, Don Hudson, the other day about, you know, you can go to any club in the world and they have their unique uh, selling point, their US, USP. But Fulham is just unique in terms of the environment and the people and the way they wanted you to play football so it was a place it was an easy decision for me it was an easy decision to go back uh, twice again and I always tell the story about when I actually did go to West Ham on a Friday and played against Watford in a relegation battle on the Saturday and scored a goal after an hour went off knackered after 70 minutes and got a message back that when the fans had heard that I scored that there was a great big cheer at Craven Cottage because I scored for West Ham so it's always been a place that's been very close to my heart Hi I'm Collins John and you are listening to the Fulhamish Podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Fulhamish Podcast. Sammy James here with Don Betts. Hello, hello. And Guy Barlow. Hello. So it's transfer deadline day tomorrow, chaps. And I feel like I've been here before because it feels very reminiscent of the August transfer window because I think we did a podcast maybe the day before no, that. I think we, no, we did a podcast, I think, on the day. But nothing was happening. Yeah. And then it's just, as soon as we stopped recording, everything just happened. It was like, oh, this is brilliant, isn't it? So... At the moment, nothing is happening. Like there, there's not even scraps online really to to dig about. The only one is is Scott Dan, which <laughs> I, I, legend of the English game. Oh man, I don't think is a terrible transfer. I really, really don't. Well, At I the don't, end of the day, we're crying out for some Premier League. No, experience. I don't think it's a bad bad signing, but it, it's not exactly an inspiring signing. Hearing the word Scott Dan, but you know. He's not he, obviously he played at Palace on the weekend against Spurs. I thought he played really well actually against Spurs. So I think he'd be the leader that we might need at the back. But would Palace be you know happy to give him to a relegation rival, even if he's not necessarily needed in their side? If I was Roy Hodgson, anything that boosts a side that's just a few points behind us when so much is at stake. 
unless they think, well, with that 10 million, we could go get a player that we need to boost our survival hopes. And, and clearly in, in that squad, strike power is what is what they need. I, 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 I find it unlikely, though, that Roy would sanction it. Yeah, I mean, isn't he just coming back from an ACL? Maybe that's part of it as well. I think yeah, we, we like starting injured players anyway. I, I think he has been out for a long time. Yeah, he you has know. been out for a really long time. Um, but part of me thinks there there aren't too many other alternatives out there. Obviously, Gary Cahill was the obvious one, but it seems like his wages are, are far too high. And he didn't want to join a, a relegation battle, which instantly for me is a red flag. Don't bother. If he's not willing to be up for the fight, then clearly he's not the player we need. And look, I'm not an expert in every single player that, that that's out there at the moment, but Scott Dan seems sensible but yeah I think you're bang on he's just he's just quite uninspiring isn't he yeah does it kind of smack of building for the championship as well particularly if we get him permanently I mean we spoke about Vida the uh, Croatian centre-back I believe he's just gone to Inter AC Milan but only for about 7.5 million which why is he why is he going to go to Fulham yeah but like I don't know I always thought that money was the was the um, you know stumbling block with that kind of link but he would have been quality, you know. World Cup final centre back. But I think, yeah, I think if we let's, if we did get Scott down a permanent deal and we did go down, I don't think a back two of Mawson and Dan is a bad way to start your way in the championship. I think two, one experienced player, one semi-experienced player, and Alfie Mawson. I think you know, it, I don't, I, th- I think it's a very low risk signing. As in, he could do a very good job for us now, and he'd, do, he'd probably be a good job for us in the championship as well. Um, moving on, I haven't really seen too many other transfers that have really. Well, it looks got like my- Kamara to that Turkish team's done. Yeah, well, I mean, we knew that Kamara was uh, gone. Although Ranieri was alluding to the fact that he'd have Kamara back in the press conference ahead of Brighton, which I found a little bit strange. But yeah, we'll we'll, we'll keep you up to date um, tomorrow on obviously the Fulham social, Fulhamish social media and anything we spot. Uh, we will try and let you know, and and we'll give you a bit of an update. And maybe on uh, Friday we'll do some reaction. Uh, on our Instagram if anything happens and I guess if nothing happens then we'll react to that but right now uh, 10 to 8 on, on, on Wednesday evening there isn't an awful lot to talk about in the transfer market but one final thing before we move on to Palace what do you if there's one signing we make is it a centre-back yeah you want? I, I don't think we I'd ideally would like a, a, a right-back but you know centre-back I think is a priority mainly with how long Alfie Morton's out for Alfie Morton is going to be out in, for another six weeks I think it says next check so two months let's say so we do need to get in another centre-back and I think if we can sign one player that's crucial and I think you know I think when it comes to the full-backs yes they're not probably probably quality either of them I think Brian probably could be in the future but I think you saw how more, how much more effective they were playing in a back four as opposed to a back five yesterday. Uh, yesterday. Mm. So I think, yeah, if I could sign any position, it's got to be a centre-back. I think I would say, based on last night, right back. I mean, Christie just looked so lacking in quality. And, I mean, Brighton weren't great going forward in the second half, so Adoy and LaMarchand coped. They were going to get Stern assessed and Murray. Um, but, yeah, Christie, if we're going to play four at the back going forward, we need a new right back. So a centre-back and a right-back, potentially, as far as you're concerned. Any other positions across the pitch? I think we all agreed at the start of the transfer window that some sort of backup for up front is pretty essential, but I feel like it's unlikely. Yeah, and I still think Vieto... Bring back can... Corley Woodrow, mate. He's bagging in the goals. He actually is. He's, he's just bag- bagging goals left, right, centre. And so is Stevie Humphreys. He's scored an absolute peach for Southend on his debut, well, his full debut since he signed permanently. Yeah, I think... I mean, yes, it's it's important, and I, surely we would 
especially if Kamara's off as well. Because it means there's no other natural number nine in the squad. Unless they promote a, a San, Santa Claus from the under-18s or whatever his name <laughs> is. Like, I, I, don't underst- I don't understand why we wouldn't, especially if Kamara's going. But, yeah. you know, I, I don't actually see it happening just because we're linked with absolutely no one. But then you look at the final day, how quickly did we know we were linked with Luciano Vieto, Fosu Mensa and Anguissa? Speaking of Fosu Mensa, has he gone back to Man U yet? No, Man U don't want him. So if we're going to send him... Get rid of him. He has to go on loan to another club. I heard today Lazio were potentially wanting to give him a go, but yeah, we have a, we basically need to find another loan club from him. Yeah, apparently it's our in. responsibility to find Fosu Mensa oh. another loan club, which seems utterly mental. But Man United have just gone. Uh, that is your problem. That's really frustrating because we need that loan spot available, don't we? To get someone in from another Premier League club. Yeah, because we want to get a loan. It has to be from abroad, and otherwise, if it's Premier League rival to us, we got to get him on a permanent deal. Right, well, let's have a look ahead quickly to the Palace game on Saturday. Palace are playing tonight against Southampton uh, at St Mary's. Their game has just kicked off. And, well, it's a replay of the opening game of the season. And after that game, which we lost 2-0, of course, we said we wished we'd have faced Crystal Palace in that game later in the year because it was all a bit new to us and we, we, we had a job done on us, didn't we? in that opening game. So what guy can we learn from that opening day defeat and try and take into this game at Selhurst Park? Just that they're such experienced operators and we talk about a lot about knowing your job and Hodgson's sides know exactly that. Um, we know that they rely on Zaha. We know that Townsend... They've been relying on him recently. No, but yeah. But still, a lot of play goes through him, doesn't it? If you look at the, the Townsend goal at Liverpool, I mean, Townsend's come into some form, speaking of him. Um, you know, they play a traditional kind of two wingers on either sides. Um, and now Wickham's back in the fray as well. Like, it's it's such a Hodgson team, I guess. And they're all experienced. So that's what we know. And in a way, it's a bad time to play them again because we've got all this confidence from last night. And then we're going to go and play this team who know exactly how to kill confidence and shut you down like they did on the first day of the season. But, you know, I'm cautiously optimistic based on our confidence from last night what do you want to see the setup on Saturday full full fucking two no (laughs) (laughs) but I mean whilst everyone's been quick to criticise the five at the back I'm not a big fan of it at home away from home it has garnered yeah but the thing is it's that set up maybe to counter attack a team right you can't counter-attack Palace because they, they want to counter-attack you. Wouldn't it be so deflating if the players found out they're going back to five at the back? I don't understand why we should because it, it's not effective. When has it been effective? Well, it was effective over Christmas. It was effective against Wolves. It was effective against Newcastle. I don't think it, was, it wasn't effective. In, it, it didn't get us results. That's, we, we, when we switched system yesterday, it got us the result. We, the, playing that system didn't get us the result. We could have easily got those results if we played four at the back. I guess with, with with Crystal Palace's scoring problems at the moment, I guess maybe we could afford to be a four at the back as well. Like, I, I think if you're going to play four, five at the back, it's the only games we should be playing for us this season are against the top four. Right. Only against the top four when we're trying to defend instead of attack. I think we, we want to go out and attack Palace. It's what we did when we beat them 4-1 last time. Yes, yes, it was a very under, that's the most non four one game I think we've ever had. <laughs> but you know, you, you, why it's a very why, different like yeah, teams? No, but why try sit? I don't see the point in trying to sit back. It doesn't work either. The far of the back doesn't work. It's not like we've stopped conceding goals. 
I mean, yeah, we're, we're still we're still conceding goals in, in whatever formation we're going to play. So well, we're literally in the whole of January we've conceded two in every single game, other than the Arsenal game where we conceded four. Yeah, I, I don't see why we should go even. We, we should go back to it. I don't. It's, it's futile to go back to it. So would you start the exact same lineup that were kind of? Well, I'd go Rico, Christie, Adoy, no, yeah, Adoy, Maxime Le Marchand, Joe Bryan, Chambers holding. Yeah, go f- going forward. Obviously, I, I don't know. I don't. I don't think I play Vieto. I still would like to see Babel and Cess together. I'd like to see how that works. But okay. um, but Vieto was effective. Yesterday. He was effective, but he's that's probably the first game he's been effective in about six months. Mm. So I think you know I'd like to see Babel and Cess around Mitrovic and see how that works. Obviously, Kenny floating somewhere. Yeah, I mean the team we finished with or had for about twenty minutes second half yesterday was ludicrously attacking. You know, it's not sustainable really with the whole Babel Vieto. Um, all on the same pitch with Mitro and Kearney. That's not going to win us games in the long run because we're just too susceptible. So, yeah, m- maybe chucking a slightly more defensive-minded player in there for Dom's team. But, yeah. Ibrahim Asise, he's coming back. <laughs> Double pivot. Well, look, Palace have had an interesting past few games. Uh, I thought they were impressive in the FA Cup win over Spurs at the weekend. They were very impressive up at Anfield when they lost 4-3 in what was a crazy game. And I think Crystal Palace were pretty hard done by not to come out of that with at least a point. And really, if it wasn't for that Spironi mistake, then it probably would have been at least a point for Palace. Uh, Quite poor at home when they lost to Watford. And then, uh, of course, before that, they beat Grimsby in the FA Cup, which is not really uh, neither here nor there. So whilst I think Palace do have their weaknesses it's going to be a difficult one to get a result but I do have some belief that it's more than possible after Tuesday and and just I'm fingers crossed we can take some confidence into that game all right well I think that's all we've got time for today on this Fulhamish podcast hope you've enjoyed it uh make sure you're subscribed to the Fulhamish YouTube channel Uh, Jack Kelly will be doing his fan cams from Selhurst Park after the game and of course stay tuned for for all of our content coming out over the weekend including uh, Cam Ramsey's Five Thoughts which will also be out the best way to stay in the loop with that Fulhamish content is by joining the WhatsApp group Uh, keep going on about it all you need to do is head to our Twitter or head to our Instagram the links are in the bio head there on your phone you send us a message we send you one back you have to save us into your contacts it only works if you save us as a contact it does not work if you don't Uh, And then all of our updates come straight through to you on WhatsApp. We promise we don't spam. And if you're super quick and you do it by the end of the 31st of January, you're going to be in that draw to potentially win a copy of FIFA 19 on the PS4. So loads of reasons to make sure you're signed up to the Fulhamish WhatsApp. Uh, Dom Betts, what are you thinking for a pod name today? Well, we're going to take it from a three-word view, but obviously you went to Facebook earlier, so we're going to back Twitter now it's uh, from John McCormick with Mitchcraft and Blizzardry Mitchcraft and Blizzardry yes that banger that is one of the best ones we've had I think in a long time John McCormick take a bow son <laughs> Mitchcraft and Blizzardry is the name of today's podcast right uh, Fulhamish will be back on Monday Jack is on hosting duties so uh, no doubt you'll have a much more pleasant experience uh, than on tonight's podcast Uh, we'll be looking back at that Palace game and then kind of this time next week we'll have a Fulhamish extra looking ahead to that game against Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's Man United at Craven Cottage so lastly I just want to say thank you to my guest Don Betts Guy Barlow up the Fulham and uh, let's hope for three points at Palace you whites layers
ACAST powers some of the world's best podcasts. Here's a show we recommend. Hey, it's Maria Hinojosa here. And Julio Ricardo Varela. We are the co-hosts of the Roundtable podcast, In the Thick, where we talk about politics, race, and culture from a people of color perspective. That's right. Every Tuesday and Friday, we bring you the latest political news, covering the stories and issues that matter to communities of color with amazing POC journalists, activists, and academics from all over the country. So you're not going to want to miss our coverage because we have a lot of fun. We do. Which means that on election night, November 3rd, we are going to be hosting a live virtual show to give you the much-needed POC perspective on this crucial night in our country. Follow us on social media at In The Thick Show to make sure you don't miss the updates and this live analysis. Subscribe to In The Thick wherever you get your podcasts. ACAST, A-cast. 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 A-cast.